السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونشكره ونستعينه ونستغفره ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهته الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners We gather again for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Quran As has been announced Today's surah is Surah Al-Ma'un Allah Azza wa Jal says A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Ara'ayta Alladhi Yukadhibu Biddin Fadhalika Alladhi Yudu'u Al-Yateem Wala Yuhuddu Ala Tu'amil Miskeen Fawailun Lil Musalleen Alladhin Hum Am Salatihim Sahoon Alladhin Hum Yura'oon Wa Yamna'oon Al-Ma'oon Have you seen one who belies the requital. So he is that one who violently pushes away the orphan. And he does not urge others to the feeding of the poor. So woe be unto those who pray who are neglectful of their prayer. Those who merely show and who withhold the necessity. That's just a very simple and crude translation of these few verses of Surah Al-Ma'un. Surah Al-Ma'un, since we are doing the tafsir of the Holy Qur'an from the back of the Qur'an, having started with Surah Al-Nas and Surah Al-Falaq. Reaching here, you will obviously recognize that these are the shortest surahs of the Qur'an, those that most people know by heart and which people frequently recite in their daily prayers. This surah has a number of names. The most famous name for this surah is Surah Al-Ma'un, taken from the last word of the of the surah. وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ That's one name. But the surah has actually a number of different names. It's also known as Surah Ara'ayta, Surah Ara'ayta Al-Ladhi, Surah Al-Takdeeb, Surah Al-Yateem, Surah Al-Deen. All of these names have actually been used for this surah. But the two most famous names are Surah, surah Al-Ma'un, 
and Surat Ara'it or Surat Ara'it Al-Ladhi. The Surah was revealed in Makkah Al-Mukarramah. So it's a Makkan Surah from the earlier days of Islam. However, it appears that the final four verses were actually revealed in Medina. So the first three verses were revealed in Makkah and the final four verses were revealed in Medina. And this is quite common throughout the Qur'an. Uh, most surahs weren't revealed in their entirety. Rather, different verses were revealed at different stages and the Prophet ﷺ, uh, under divine instruc- instruction, actually specified to the companions where to place the different verses. Uh, in fact, this is a case with the very first surah that was revealed, Surah Al-Alaq. Only the first few verses were revealed on the first occasion. اقرأ بسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم. Then from كلا إن الإنسان لا يطغى. It's actually a different topic revealed on a much later occasion. So here also. The first three verses were revealed together in Makkah al-Mukarramah, and it appears that the final four verses were revealed in Medina. However, despite the time difference between various verses of any surah, being the Holy Qur'an, the theme, the flow, the overall flavor of the surah is a single one. And... The ulama of Islam who are experts in the Arabic language and its deep meanings, its rhetoric, its uh, eloquent topics, etc. They are very familiar and they have produced a number of voluminous works, voluminous works expanding the coherence and the order of the Holy Qur'an and even in between the verses. Sometimes even a single, even in just a single verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given believers an instruction which miraculously shows a progression from one stage to the next. I won't mention it now because this is irrelevant, but I was thinking of something this morning. I was actually reading a book this morning about certain forms of therapy which produce chemical changes in the brain. And the author, who's, a, who's an expert in the field, he was describing how for the first time in history they've actually produced certain methods of therapy and they've tested this under laboratory conditions with brain scans, where just by speaking to the patients in a therapeutic manner has actually resulted in chemical brain changes. And whilst reading that particular chapter of this book, Allahu Akbar, what they were saying about progression from one stage to the next, I suddenly recalled a verse of the Holy Qur'an in which miraculously in... In just five words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes progression from one to the second, from the first to the second to the third stage. 
And it's not a verse about the creation of man, it's actually a verse about how people should behave. And Allahu Akbar, when I recall that verse, this new therapeutic method which was being discussed by neurologists, experts, with the evidence of brain scans, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already told us about that 1400 years ago. Only this morning. And I don't wish to say anything further on the topic because it's not related to Surah Al-Ma'un. We're very constrained for time. But inshallah, if and when I speak on that topic again, I will elaborate in detail. Allahu Akbar. So uh, I just recall this now because even though there are different verses of the same surah revealed at different occasions, the theme, the flow is continuous. The flavor of the surah is one. And the verses are coherent. And the later verses, though revealed in Medina, are actually connected to the earlier verses revealed in Makkah al-Mukarrama. And we will see. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينَ Have you seen one who belies the requital, who rejects the reckoning? The most important word here is biddin. So have you seen one who rejects the reckoning? Who rejects the requital? The most accurate translation of biddin is requital. And this is a very important word, so allow me to explain it in the context of this surah. Deen, of course, commonly to most people, is known as religion. But in reality, even in the Holy Qur'an, the word deen is used for different things. It can mean religion. In the hadith, it's also, it's also referred to as just a way of life. It's referred to as a lifestyle in, in a hadith. In the Holy Quran, deen is also used to refer to simple law. Fi deen al-malik. In the law of the king, Surah Yusuf. And... Deen also, in a number of verses, as here, means requital. And what does requital mean? Or what do we mean when we say requital in the context of the Holy Qur'an? It means recompense. Not simply reward. Reward is for good. Retribution is for evil. But either way, whether whether a person is being recompensed and paid their due, good for good deeds bad for bad deeds. This in the Qur'an is known as deen and requital. In Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Master of the Day of Requital. Of course, common translation is judgment, but the most accurate translation of a deen, taking all shades of the meaning of the word in Arabic into consideration is requital. And why call the day of reckoning, the day of resurrection, the day of judgment as a day of requital? Because requital means a person will be paid, recompensed, repaid, awarded, rewarded or punished with total justice, like for like and completely. And that's the most accurate translation of the word deen, requital. So Allah Azza wa Jal says, أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينَ Have you seen one 
who rejects the requital. And in another verse of the Holy Qur'an, speaking about the day of requital, which is obviously the day of reckoning, the day of judgment, Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينَ ثُمَّ مَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينَ Surah Al-Infitar وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينَ ثُمَّ مَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينَ يَوْمَ لَا تَمْلِكُ نَفْسٌ لَنَفْسٍ شَيْئًا وَالْأَمْرُ يَوْمَ إِذِلْ لِلَّهِ Allah says, and what do you know of the day of requital? And again, what do you know of the day of requital? That will be the day when no soul shall possess any control for any soul in anything. And the affair, the command, the whole matter will belong to Allah alone on that day. So that's the day of requital, the day of judgment, the day of reckoning, the day of accountability. So Allah says, He attracts our attention. In fact, the, these are quite strong words. Allah says, Have you seen one who rejects the reckoning, who rejects the requital? So having caught our attention, Allah then tells us, who is that person who actually rejects the requital? He is one, Allah says, So he is the one who violently pushes away, who shoves the orphan. And nor does he encourage others, nor does he urge others to feeding the poor. Allah says, So woe be unto those who pray, who are neglectful of their prayer. Those who merely show. And and who withhold, i.e. who refuse to give the necessity. Ma'un, one translation, one meaning is necessity. And I'll explain everything in a moment. If you look at the whole verse, uh, sorry, the whole surah, what Allah is telling us is that he's inviting us to look at someone who rejects any concept of accountability, reckoning and judgment. And what that does to a person. So Allah says, come, have you seen one who rejects accountability, who rejects reckoning? who rejects requital, i.e. the day of judgment, the day of requital. Well, if you want to see someone who rejects the reckoning, then this is the kind of person who he is. He is one who does a number of things. And then only Allah, Allah only mentions three things. Well, four things, actually. And they are as follows. One, he violently pushes away the orphan. Two, he does not encourage others to feed the poor. Three, such a person, even though he may apparently pray, his prayer is empty and void. And it's performed merely for ostentation, for showmanship, for impressing others. Merely for showing off. And the fourth thing that this person does is, well, five things, neglectful of the prayer, and even when they do pray, merely showing others. And the fifth and final thing is, they refuse to give even basic items of necessity. Now, before I continue, 
Let me say a few words about accountability. What we learn from here is that the Qur'an is telling us that morality and ethics stem from a sense of responsibility and accountability. And as believers, as human beings, Allah has placed a natural feeling, a natural responsibility, a natural intrinsic inherent conviction in every individual that they are and they should be accountable. Without accountability, there will be anarchy and chaos. And that's what we see in the world around us. We are all held accountable. Even in a small classroom, even in a small nursery, there will be rules for how even the children should behave. In a workplace, in fact, in a coffee room of a workplace where people simply gather by the water cooler and by the kettle to boil a cup of tea, there will be notices of rules on how people should behave in the small water cooler area and in the small canteen area of a workplace, let alone the rest of the building. There are laws, there are restrictions, there are obstructions, there are legal obligations, there are legal responsibilities, there are prohibitions, there are prescriptions and proscriptions everywhere, in every place, in every walk of life. A family has a set of rules in the home, and there is accountability. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the entire universe on a set of laws. And if there is any disruption to that balance, to that equilibrium, to that perfection and harmony of the laws of Allah in the universe, the universe would collapse and perish. And as a reflection of that order in the cosmos, as a reflection of that perfection, of that harmony, of that balance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set laws amongst his creation. Laws of living, laws of life, laws of morality, laws of ethics. And though we may not always understand the wisdom of these laws, Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam has told us that if you do not observe these laws, there will be anarchy and there will be chaos. And one of the problems which we face today is that many, many of us, as individuals, as communities, as societies at large, as entire nations and countries, we see the harms and the dangers of certain behaviours only because the consequences are physical. Drugs. Drugs lead to intoxication, crime, violence. And what we see as a consequence of drug abuse and substance abuse. And that's just an example. Since we see the physical and the very damaging and direct and tangible ill effects and harm effects of something like drugs, there is legislation, there is discouragement, there is therapy, there, is, there, there are rehabilitation centres. Billions are spent on containing and tackling 
the ill effects of drugs. And it's considered a major problem. Simply because we see the physical ill effects. But since we deny the spiritual world, or even if we don't deny the spiritual world in principle, we act as though there is no spiritual world. We fail to see the moral, ethical, and spiritual ill effects of other behaviours. And since those ill effects, those consequences, those repercussions, those harms of sins and spiritual behaviours are never seen in the physical, tangible world, we act, we live, we behave, and we think as though they don't exist. But Allah and His Rasul have told us that just as you can see and physically, personally experience the harmful effects of certain behaviours like intoxication, after alcohol, intoxication, after substance abuse, and the other behaviours that come as a consequence of these, uh, of these acts. Or just as you can see the harmful effects of violence, of physical abuse, of hitting one another, of hurting one another. You legislate in this regard, and you make sure that people don't behave in that manner. But just as you see the harmful effects, know and come to realize that in the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for he is a creator of the heavens and the earth, just as there are harmful, tangible, disastrous and detrimental consequences for certain physical behaviors, similarly, there are even worse detrimental, harmful, and disastrous consequences of sins of ethics and morality and spirituality. Though they may not, you may not see the ill effects physically. To give you one example, in a hadith Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, إِذَا أَتَاكُمْ مَنْ تَرْضَوْنَ دِينَهُ وَخُلَقَهُ فَزَوِّجُوهُ إِلَّا تَفَعَلُوهُ تَكُنْ فِتْنَةٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَفَسَادٌ عَرِيدٌ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa says, if someone comes to you, this is in relation to marriage, if someone comes to you whose religion and whose character pleases you, then marry those off to such a person for whom you are responsible. If you do not do so, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, تَكُنْ فِتْنَةٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَفَسَادٌ عَرِيدٌ There will be great trial and tribulation, strife on earth and widespread corruption. This is just one example. That here in such a case, we would never see the harmful effects. Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have told us there are equally disastrous, if not greater, Disastrous consequences for sins and for lapses of ethics and morality. So going back to the topic of accountability, we, of course, we have accountability everywhere. You cannot... Why do people stop at traffic lights? Because of accountability. For the fear of the law, for the fear of being fined, for the fear of being prosecuted. Even in the middle of the night... A person will behave and stop at a traffic light and ensure that they do not cross the light. Even though apparently there's no danger. But no one rationalises at that moment that it's three o'clock in the morning and the only person on the road, this is the only vehicle on the road, the traffic light is showing red and it's horrendously slow. I've been sitting here for three minutes. Shall I just go? 
There's no danger, there's no harm. Nobody rationalizes against the law, even at three o'clock in the morning, because it's the law. But we always tend to rationalize with the law of Allah. Accountability is such that there is accountability and responsibility everywhere. However, why is it that we fear others but not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In fact, Allah reminded the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa of this. None other, he directly told the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa in Surah Al-Ahzab. Imagine the Messenger of Allah being told this. It's in relation to the marriage of Zainab bint Jahsh radiyallahu anha. I won't go into any of the details at the moment. I've spoken about this before. But the Prophet ﷺ was informed by Allah of something. And although he wasn't given an instruction to disclose it to the people, Rasulullah ﷺ withheld that personal, it wasn't public, that personal information from the people for the fear of the people misunderstanding and raising fingers at him. So Rasulullah on that occasion, regarding a very personal matter, he feared the reaction of the people. So all he did was withhold the information that Allah had given him, which of course he was placed under no obligation to actually divulge. But for the fact, you see, we, there's a law. Hasanatul abrar, sayyatul muqarrabin. That the good deeds of the pious are considered the ill deeds of the closest ones. Meaning, for most people, a certain behavior is not only acceptable, but is actually commendable. But for someone who's the closest, that behavior which is considered good, and commendable for others, for such a person, is actually considered reprehensible and well beneath them. To give you an example, Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam, when he was asked, who is the most knowledgeable in the creation? Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam said, I am. And according to one narration, he was asked, is there anyone more knowledgeable than you? And he said, there isn't anyone more knowledgeable than me. And which technically is a fact, because he was the messenger of Allah, and in any given people at any time, who is the most knowledgeable? The Prophet of Allah. However, under any other circumstance, for any other individual, such an answer would be fine. But being the Messenger of Allah, being the Kalimullah, the one with whom Allah spoke directly, such an answer was not befitting his lofty status. Similarly, Rasulullah did nothing wrong by withholding that information. Nothing wrong whatsoever. But because of his closeness to Allah, because of his unique position, such an option was the lesser of the two preferred options for Rasulullah, for the Messenger wasallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wished to remind him of this. And why did the Prophet wasallam withhold this information? Simply for the fear of people's reaction. So Allah actually tells him in Surah Al-Ahzab, وَتَخْشَ النَّاسِ وَاللَّهُ أَحَقُّ أَن And you feared the people, whereas Allah was more rightful that you should have feared him. If even the Holy Messenger ﷺ was being reminded, 
that do not fear the people, rather fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then what can be said of us? And indeed, when a person loses all sense of accountability, there will be anarchy and chaos in such a person's individual life and in other people's lives. And this is exactly what the Qur'an says here. Allah says, Have you seen one who rejects the reckoning? Since he does not believe in the day of judgment, in the day of resurrection, in accountability, what does that person end up doing? Violently shoves away the orphan. Does not encourage others to get, to feed the poor. Now these words are not simplistic, I'll explain, I'll elaborate on them in a moment. And then what else does he do? He does not pray, or if he does pray, not properly, and merely for showmanship. And he withholds even the little good and necessity from others. So what he does, when a person loses all sense of accountability before Allah, a person fails to fulfill the rights of Allah's creation, as well as the rights of the Creator. And tellingly, which right does Allah mention first in the surah? Does he mention his right as a creator, or does he mention the right of the creation? He mentions the right of the creation. Allah says, have you seen one who rejects the reckoning? What's the first thing Allah says? He violently pushes away the orphan. And he does not encourage others to give, to feed the poor. And only then does Allah speak about his own right, which is prayer and zakah. So when a person loses all sense of accountability before Allah, then there will be chaos, there will be anarchy, there will be moral bankruptcy, there will be moral depravity, no law, no boundary, no restraints, no constraints, and a person will behave recklessly and harmfully to themselves and to others. But when a person remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is conscious of that reckoning and accountability before Allah, then for such a person, even if the law is not watching, even if humans are not watching, even if cameras are not monitoring them, they are conscious and very aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for such a person, there will be, theirs will be a case of taqwa. And time and time again, Allah reminds us in the Holy Qur'an of being conscious of Allah and of being conscious of that reckoning and standing before Allah. Allah says in Surah Al-Rahman, وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ فَبِأَيَّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ And for one who fears the standing before his Lord will be two gardens. So which, which is it of the blessings of Allah that you deny? In another verse, وَأَمَّا مَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَنَهَا النَّفْسَ عَنِ الْهَوَى فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى And as for one who fears the standing before his Lord, and who prevents the lower self, who prevents the soul from its desire, what will be the reward? For that person, فَإِنَّ الْجَنَّةَ هِيَ الْمَأْوَى Paradise, Jannah, is the abode. And indeed, you see, as human beings, we have certain weaknesses and core behaviours. These are our bestial animal urges. This is our bestiality. These are the characteristics that we share with the animals. 
This is what bogs us down. This is what reduces us to the lowest of the low. This is what prevents us from rising and scaling the heights of, to and scaling the heights of spirituality. This is what prevents us from becoming close to Allah. This is what makes us animal-like, bestial in our behavior. And the nafs, the soul, the lower self, in conjunction with shaitan, is always trying to pull down the human. Always. And it's always whispering its urges, its temptations, its seductions. It could be related to anything. There is only one way of overcoming this. Only one way. And that is by reminding oneself of one's accountability before Allah on the Day of Judgment. And that's exactly what that verse says. As for one who fears the standing before his Lord and prevents the nafs, prevents the soul from its desire, then indeed Jannah, paradise, is the abode for such a person. There is only one law. There is only one monitoring system. There is only one surveillance which will ultimately prevent a person from doing something, not just apparently, but even in heart and mind and spirit. And that is not any human form of surveillance, but just the consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is taqwa. Just that remembrance that I have to stand before Allah on a day to answer for my deeds. That accountability. In another verse of the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jal says something very similar to this. Allah says, Woe be unto those who reduce. How do they reduce? Who when it comes to measuring for themselves, from the people, they take their full measure. And when it comes to measuring or weighing in favor of the people, then they reduce the weight or the measure. So Allah says, Do these people not think that they are going to be resurrected on a great day, on a day when they shall stand before the Lord of the worlds? I.e., if they had that remembrance and that consciousness of accountability and standing before Allah on the day of judgment, they would not behave in that manner. They would not defraud. They would not cheat. They would not mislead. They would not unlawfully deprive people of their wealth. They would not reduce themselves to such a despicable and lowly act of reducing the measure when it comes to giving the people and taking more when it comes to taking for themselves. How despicable is that? A noble human being, when it comes to measuring and weighing, gives a bit more on top just to ensure that they are not unfair, just to show an act of kindness. However, when a person loses all sense of accountability, their greed, their avarice, their lowliness, their despicable behavior becomes so low 
that despite their riches and their wealth they, and their trade and their commerce and business, they will actually reduce themselves to such lowly behavior that when it comes to measuring, in order to give to other people, they'll reduce a few grams. And when it comes to taking for themselves, they'll actually increase a few grams. I read an article just two days ago, I skimmed through it, which shows, have all our products become slimmer? Have all our products become slimmer? And they had a whole range of products, which ten years ago were almost twice the size. So the same price, in fact inflated price now, but gradually the grams have been shaven off these products over the months and over the years. In everything, bread slices, buns, muffins, burgers, cheese slices, whole tins, everything's seen a reduction. Wailulin <laughs> Do they not think that they will be resurrected for on a great day, on a day when they shall stand before the Lord of the worlds? We as Muslims, we have been reminded again and again of accountability. And you know what's the most single, succinct, comprehensive, concise word? The most succinct word for accountability, taqwa. Taqwa is normally translated as the fear of Allah, but as I've said on numerous occasions, that is just a partial meaning. The most accurate definition I can give of taqwa after much reflection is taqwa means to guard oneself from the displeasure of Allah by guarding one's by guarding oneself from the disobedience of Allah. Simple. Taqwa means guarding oneself from the displeasure of Allah. By guarding oneself from the disobedience of Allah. That's the meaning of taqwa. And when Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu taqwa, another simple word would be God consciousness. Because taqwa isn't just about physical refraining. Taqwa is about being conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything. In every single thing. Time and time again, Allah has told us about how to behave, about accountability. There are so many verses throughout the Holy Qur'an which speak about accountability. And the best verse is taqwa. We are reminded about it again and again and again. In fact, we are reminded about it so much it seems to pass over us. I've mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would... He had a khutbah, which is known as khutbah al-hajah, the sermon of need. For some reason... This sunnah khutbah and sermon and introductory words of the Prophet ﷺ have fallen into disuse elsewhere except at the time of nikah. So now most people recognize these words of the Prophet ﷺ at the time of nikah, at the time of marriage. Even though the, these words and this introductory sermon of the Prophet ﷺ wasn't restricted to marriage. For him, in the hadith, in the terminology of the hadith, this is known as khutbatul hajah, the khutbah, the sermon of need. And the Prophet ﷺ would recite this on many occasions, on the mimbar, off the mimbar, in gatherings, and even at the time of nikah. And we've all heard it at the time of nikah. And what is that khutbah? It's, it's part of it we mention at the beginning of speeches, but the most, the, the greatest part of that khutbah, of that sermon, and of those words that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa would use frequently, including at the time of nikah, 
most of those words are three verses of the Holy Quran. And you've all heard them. Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatihi wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Ya ayyuhannasu attaqu rabbakumun ladhi khalaqakum min nafsin wahidah wa khalaqa minha zawjaha wa batha minhuma rijalan kathiran wa nisaa wa attaqullaha aladhi tasa'aluna bihi wal arham inna allaha kana alaykum raqiba. يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما we don't have time to translate or go into the explanation of these verses but you will hear one word and one theme running through all of these verses which is fear allah be conscious of allah taqwa ittaqullah taqwa ittaqullah taqwa ittaqullah taqwa even at the time of marriage we are never allowed to forget our responsibility of being conscious of Allah. And that is accountability. And I'll end with just one mention about taqwa. One great scholar and saint was asked, how do you define taqwa? What is taqwa? And he said, taqwa is that you empty the thoughts of your mind and the emotions and feelings of your heart onto a large platter, and then you walk around in the marketplace with your thoughts and your emotions and feelings in full view of the people, and you are not the least embarrassed. That is taqwa. So if there is accountability, there will be morality. If there is a sense of accountability, there will be ethics, there will be good behavior. There will be control. A person does not need any external control. If there is the consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in one's mind and heart, that consciousness will be such that it will prevent the person from misbehaving in any way. And we are reminded, Allah says, you know, our accountability is such. Allah says regarding our book of deeds, Every minor and major deed is recorded. On the day of judgment, we as humans will exclaim, We will say, what is it with this book of deeds? That it is not left out, it is not omitted. Neither a small thing or a major thing except that he has recorded it and registered it. And then Allah says, وَوَجَدُوا مَا عَمِلُوا حَاضِرًا And all that they have done in the world, they shall find it before them on the day of judgment. وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا And your Lord is not unjust to anyone. Even a single word. Surah Qaf, Allah says, مَا يَلْفِذُ مِنْ قَوْلٍ إِلَّا لَدَيْهِ رَقِيبٌ عَتِيدٌ Referring to man, he does not spit out. Yelfid means spit out. He does not spit out a single word. Except that there is an angel ready there to record. Every single word. There is an angel there ready to record. This is accountability. And the sense of accountability is such, you know, we have the Holy Quran. With all its verses... Revealed over 23 years. What is the final verse of the Holy Quran? What are the last words that Allah revealed to mankind? The Quran covers so many different topics. 
stories of the people of the past, stories of former nations, stories and accounts of the former messengers, of former peoples. The Qur'an contains some history. The Qur'an speaks about the Prophet ﷺ. The Qur'an speaks about Tawheed and Shirk, monotheism, idolatry, about the oneness of Allah. The Qur'an mentions so many laws of life, living, social life, public life, private life, inheritance, marriage, divorce, relations between parents, between children, between siblings, between relatives. The Qur'an speaks about acts of worship, prayer, pilgrimage and charity. So much. But the last verse which Allah revealed of the Holy Qur'an in Surah Al-Baqarah is, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ ثُمَّ تُوَفَّى كُلُّ نَفْسٍ مَا كَسَبَتْ وَهُمْ لَا يُظْلَمُونَ And fear a day when you shall all be returned to Allah. Then each soul shall be requited in full, repaid in full, whatever it has earned. And they shall not suffer any injustice. So putting everything to one side, the wisdoms, the parables, the similitudes, the examples, the stories, the warnings, the encouragements, the exhortations of the Qur'an, the laws, everything to one side, after 23 years, the last verse which Allah revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, and the last verse which was revealed to mankind. Imagine, this was the last communication ever from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to his creation. And what was that? Fear a day in which you shall all be returned to Allah. Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, his collection of hadith is widely regarded as being the most authentic by Sunni Muslims. And until very recently, for the past 11, well, 12 years, I've been going through the commentary of Sahih al-Bukhari. And those of you who've been attending will realize that it's a very complex book. And indeed, it reflects the genius of its author. Bukhari is such a work that ulama... There is no book in the world after the Holy Qur'an which has received more attention than the Sahih of Imam Bukhari in any language. No book which has received as much attention as a collection of Imam Bukhari. And the ulama have marveled at his genius, his memory, his selection, his referencing, his cross-referencing, his editing, his expertise in the field of hadith. Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi, once sat in front of Imam Bukhari, and regarding a certain hadith, when Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, answered Imam Muslim's question, Imam Muslim became extremely emotional and began weeping. Someone of the caliber of Imam Muslim, And he said, O Imam, referring to Imam Bukhari, grant me permission, allow me to kiss your forehead, to kiss your hands. Ya Ustad al Ustadin, wa ya Sayyid al Muhaddithin, wa ya Tabib al Hadith fi ilalih, O teacher of the teachers, 
O master of all the experts and scholars of hadith, O doctor of the hadith in the flaws and defects of the narrations of hadith. He was widely regarded as being the unparalleled, unrivaled, unchallenged master of hadith. And his genius is reflected in his work. And just part of his work is that the ulama have actually pondered and reflected over the choice of words which he uses in his chapter headings. And why he chooses any hadith under a particular chapter. And why he chooses one chapter in this book and not in that book. And you know, one of the discussions is that finally, what is the final chapter that Imam Bukhari produces in his book of Sahih? You know what that final chapter is? Not the final book, the final actual chapter heading. Bab, al mawazin al qista al yawm al qiyamah. فَلَا تُظْلَمُ نَفْسٌ وَإِن كَانَ مِثْقَالَ حَبَّةٍ مِنْ خَرْدَلٍ أَتَيْنَا بِهَا وَكَفَى بِنَا حَاسِبِينَ Chapter of وَنَضَعُ الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْتَ الْيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ That we shall establish the scales of justice on the day of reckoning. So no soul shall suffer any injustice. And even if it says something to the measure of a mustard seed, we shall produce it. Allah says, And we are sufficient as reckoners. Now that's the final chapter. And then he produces a final hadith there. Now, ulama have always discussed, what is the purpose of Imam Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, mentioning this chapter as a final chapter in his book? And my understanding, my opinion is, if I can be bold enough to venture and say so, is that what Imam Bukhari actually wishes to do here is follow the order of the Holy Qur'an. That the final verse to be revealed in the Holy Qur'an was, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجِعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ That, and I have never seen this anywhere, this is just of my own understanding, that's why I say, it's my bold venture to say so. That what Imam Bukhari is doing here, is following the tirtib and the order of the Holy Qur'an, that the final verse of the Holy Qur'an was, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجِعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ And fear a day in which you shall all be returned to Allah. And then each soul shall be requited and repaid and recompensed in full what it has earned. So that after everything, stories and history and laws and morals and teachings and wisdoms and parables, the Holy Qur'an ends with this. Bukhari, with his thousands of hadith, also ends his book with the same message, which is a reminder of the day of reckoning, a reminder of the day of judgment. This is what accountability is. When a person has this consciousness of Allah and this sense of accountability, what will he or she do? He or she will behave. He or she will be full of morals and ethics. He or she will not do what's mentioned here. And when that accountability is missing, then what happens? There is no law, there is no constraint, there is no morality, there is no ethic. There is anarchy and chaos, even in a person's individual life. As Allah says, Have you seen one who rejects the reckoning? Well, what will he do? What will such a person do? Allah says, So he is the one who pushes away, who violently pushes away the orphan. I said earlier, the words are not simplistic. The Quran contains much wisdom. What this means is, that, you know, even the most heartless of people will have mercy on children. 
the most heartless of people, will have mercy on children. And they will show compassion and mercy to an orphan child. And even if they aren't able to help and spend and give to the orphan child, spend on and give to the orphan child, at least they won't mistreat them or abuse them. But a person has to be quite psychopathic, quite low, quite disturbed, quite, quite depraved, quite bankrupt of morals, and quite twisted of character, that not only do they not show compassion, help, spend on, support, aid and assist, or at least show sympathy and kindness, or a good word, or if not a good word, then at least withhold and not harm and abuse and hurt the orphan. When accountability is missing, then the person sinks to such a low that they will even bully and abuse. As an adult, they will bully, abuse, misuse, misappropriate the wealth of and tread on an orphan. Violently pushing them away. Yadur means to violently push them away. So a person will become so low that even as an, as an adult will show no compassion and mercy to an orphan child and violently push them away, hitting them, abusing them. This can happen when morality is missing, when accountability is absent. So Allah says, have you seen one who rejects the reckoning? If a person rejects the reckoning, then what will happen? They will stoop so low that they will even abuse children. Orphan children, violently pushing them away and hurting them. وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَىٰ طَعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ And nor will he encourage others to give to feed the poor. Again, the words are not simplistic. Think about it. The Qur'an doesn't say that if accountability is missing, then a person will fail to feed the poor himself. No. We should feed the poor. We should help the poor and needy. We should aid the destitute. And if a person cannot do that, then at least show sympathy and compassion. Even say a good word. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, min A good word and forgiveness is far better than any charity which is followed by inconveniencing and hurt. So what's the meaning of a good word and forgiveness? If someone comes to you and you can't help them, then at least when you decline to help them, do so politely so that you don't hurt their feelings. So say something like, I really wish I could help you, but unfortunately I'm not in a position to help you myself. And seek their forgiveness. So say, I apologize, I seek your forgiveness. Allahu Akbar. So if you can't help, and you can't even say a good word, and you can't even seek their forgiveness for your failure to help them, then at least remain silent. Imagine how low a person will stoop, as the Qur'an mentions here. That not only miskeen, he does not encourage others to feed the poor, not only does he refuse to feed the poor himself, not only does he refuse to show any compassion, not only does he refuse to even give the charity of a good word, not only that, not only does he refuse to remain silent and mind his own business, no, this busybody will become so low, will stoop so low, that he doesn't want to feed the poor himself, but he'll actually prevent others from feeding them. 
That's the meaning. وَلَا يَحُضُّ عَلَىٰ طُعَامِ الْمِسْكِينَ He doesn't even encourage others. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ when, when there is no accountability, a person will abuse the creation of Allah. Will fail to fulfill the rights of the creation of Allah. Then Allah says, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ so woe be unto those, here, these are the verses that were revealed in Medina. So woe be unto those who pray. Those who are neglectful of their prayer. Those who merely show. Now, these words are quite frightening, actually. Allah does not curse. This is a curse. For musallim. So woe be unto those who pray. The curse is not for those who don't pray. Imagine. The curse is actually for those who pray. But their prayer is empty. It's void of meaning. It's merely for show. And it's performed in such a way that it's performed carelessly. They are neglectful of their prayer. And what's the meaning of neglect? So, if you pray, if one prays, then fine. If one doesn't pray, then fine. If a person prays, then they don't really hope for its reward. If a person doesn't pray, then they don't fear the failure of having prayed. Nothing. It becomes a meaningless act. A person is neglectful of their prayer if they delay it. That's why in one hadith related by Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim, Imam, in his, uh, Imam, Imam Malik in his Muatta from Sayyidina Anas radiyallahu an, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says about Asr prayer, tilka salatul munafiqeen, tilka salatul munafiqeen, tilka salatul munafiqeen. Yajlisu ahaduhum hatta idha sfarrat al-shams. This is the prayer of the hypocrites. This is the prayer of the hypocrites. This is the prayer of the hypocrites. One of them remains seated until when the sun is on the two horns of shaitan or between the two horns of shaitan, meaning it's about to set. He, stand, he rises and he pecks four times, not remembering Allah except very little in that prayer. So the Prophet says, it's a very authentic hadith, as I said, related by Imam Malik and his Muatta, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim in their Sahih. If, the Prophet says, if a person delays their Asr Salah all the way till the sun is about to set, which reflects carelessness, and then the person rises and then quickly performs their prayer, in what manner? The Prophet doesn't even say that, فَصَلَّى أَرْبَعَ رَكَعَاتٍ he prays for, what does the Prophet ﷺ say? He pecks. Naqar actually means to peck, like a bird uh, or a chicken would peck. He pecks four times. So his rising and falling into sujood and prostration is made to resemble pecking quite rapidly, just like a bird pecks. And then rises quite rapidly. So his falling into sujood is compared to the pecking of a bird. So he pecks four times. He does not remember Allah except very little in that prayer. How does the Prophet describe that prayer? This is a prayer of the hypocrites. This is a prayer of the hypocrites. This is a prayer of the hypocrites. So anyone who neglects their prayer, this is what's meant by neglecting a person's prayer. Performing it out of its time, delaying it unnecessarily. And then not performing it properly. 
And then further, only performing it to show people, just as the hypocrites in Medina would do. So if a person prays merely to show the people, that is a prayer of a hypocrite. And Allah says, uh, of the hypocrites in another verse of the Qur'an, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يُخَادِعُونَ اللَّهُ وَهُوَ خَادِعُهُمْ وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا كُسَالًا يُرَاؤُونَ النَّاسِ وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Allah says, indeed the hypocrites, they attempt to deceive Allah, whereas Allah is the one who is keeping them in deception. And وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ When they rise to prayer, قَامُوا كُسَالًا They rise lazily. يُرَاؤُونَ النَّاسِ Merely showing the people and not remembering Allah, except very little in that prayer. So, that's the prayer of a hypocrite. And this is what this surah is about also. When a person loses that accountability and that sense of reckoning, then even if their outward function is that of a Muslim, even if their outward function and behavior is that of a Muslim, there is a great danger that they will fall into the realm of hypocrisy. So their prayer will be a shell of prayer. They may fast, they may pray, they may perform the pilgrimage, they may give charity. But if that sense of accountability is missing, then it will not be sincere, it will not be genuine, it will not be pure. And then their prayer, their charity, their pilgrimage, in fact their whole behavior will become hypocritical. And that's what this whole surah, part of the surah is about. Woe be unto those. Who are these people? The hypocrites. We have been warned against hypocrisy. And what is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when one's words... There are two kinds of hypocrisy. During the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was one group of hypocrites. Those who believed by tongue, but were unbelievers by heart. And some of them, not all of them, some of them were identified to the Prophet wasallam. And that group ended. Because after the time of the Prophet wasallam, apart from Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman radiyallahu an, who held the secrets of, uh, who held some of the secrets of the Prophet wasallam, others did not know who the hypocrites were. That's why Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu an would ask Hudayfat ibn al-Yaman, tell me, the names of the hypocrites. And Hudhayfat ibn al-Yaman would say, I will not divulge a secret which the Prophet has trusted me with. Not even to Umar ibn al-Khattab. So then Umar and imagine Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab would say, O oh Hudhayfa, if you refuse to divulge the names of the hypocrites to me, then at least tell me, is the name of Umar ibn al-Khattab in the list of hypocrites? We should fear hypocrisy. That group has gone because now only Allah knows who is the true unbeliever at heart. However, the hypocrisy of deeds remains in this ummah. And that's what the Prophet ﷺ has warned us against. And what is the hypocrisy of deed? We say one thing and do another. And this is deadly. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim from Sayyidina Abu Hurairah radiyallahu an ayatul munafiq thalath idha haddatha kathab wa idha wa'ada akhlaf wa idha atumina khan He says the, sign of a hypocrite, the signs of a hypocrite are three. One, the first one. When he speaks, he lies. Number two, 
When he makes a promise, he fails to fulfill that promise. And number three, when he is entrusted with a trust, then he proves to be dishonest with that trust and he betrays that trust. In another hadith, again related by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim, from another companion, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Amr radiyallahu anhu, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, and reflect on the wording, أَرْبَعٌ مَنْ كُنَّ فِيهِ كَانَ مُنَافِقًا خَالِصًا وَمَنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَصْلَةٌ مِّنْهُنْ كَانَتْ فِيهِ خَصْلَةٌ مِّنَ النِّفَاقِ حَتَّى يَدَعَهَا إِذَا أَتُمِنَ خَانْ وَإِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبْ وَإِذَا عَاهَدَ غَدَرْ وَإِذَا خَاصَمَ فَجَرْ There are four things, four traits. If found in a person, then that person will be a pure hypocrite. And if one of these four traits are found in that person, then he will have in him one of the traits of hypocrisy until he removes it. And what are those four traits? When he is entrusted with a trust, he betrays that trust. Two, when he speaks, he lies. Three, when he makes a promise, he is treacherous and fails to fulfill that promise. These three have already been covered in the first hadith. But this hadith contains a fourth trait which has not been mentioned. And that fourth trait is, وَإِذَا خَاسَمَ fajr, When he falls into a dispute with someone, then he openly sins. So here are four traits of hypocrisy. When a person lies, when a person speaks, they lie. When a person makes a promise, they fail to fulfill that promise. When they are entrusted with an amana and a trust, they betray that trust. And number four, if they ever argue with anyone or fall out with anyone, then they go, they sin openly in that disagreement. These are the traits of hypocrisy. And Allahu Akbar, as the Prophet wasallam said, if a person has all four traits in them, then that person is a pure hypocrite. And if a person has one of the traits in them, then a person has one of the traits of hypocrisy until he removes it from, their, from his character. And I'll end with just one verse. Very frightening verse of the Quran. Allah says, فَأَعْقَبَهُمْ نِفَاقًا فِي قُرُوبِهِمْ إِلَىٰ يَوْمِ يَلْقَوْنَهُ بِمَا أَخْلَفُ اللَّهُ مَا وَعَدُوهُ وَبِمَا كَانُوا يَكْذِبُونَ Allah says, so he, Allah, gave them in punishment hypocrisy in their hearts. So he, Allah, followed them up with punishment of hypocrisy in their hearts. Till the day they shall meet him. Because of the fact that they failed to fulfill the promises they had made to Allah and because they would lie. What that verse tells us, that some of the hypocrites, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually cemented nifaq and hypocrisy in their hearts till the day of judgment as a punishment itself for two sins. And what were those two sins? Failure to fulfill their promises and two, for lying. This means that lying can actually lead to hypocrisy. It can lead to further hypocrisy. Failing to fulfill one's promises can actually lead to hypocrisy. That's as far as hypocrisy is concerned. We end with the final verse, and Allah says, such people, not only do they not encourage others to feed the poor, not only do they violently shove and mistreat orphans. Not only do they fail to pray properly, merely showing the people in a hypocritical manner, but وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَاعُونَ They sink so low 
that they do not even give, they withhold, and they do not even share the necessity. What's the meaning of al-ma'oon? Since the surah has also been called al-ma'oon. In reality, al-ma'oon means any good. Any good thing. Any good thing. That's the meaning of al-ma'oon. Simple. This can be... Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu says that during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we would call ma'oon even the small things that people lend to each other. Such as, and he mentioned bucket, axe, a needle. So, what this means is, this is the lowest thing. And then ma'oon can mean even greater things, like an act of charity. And... Even zakah. So ma'oon actually means a good thing. Not in terms of deeds, but rather in terms of wealth. A good physical thing that a person gives or shares. The lowest being even these small things that we lend to each other and share. And the greatest being zakah. So ma'oon can actually mean zakah in its highest form. And ma'oon can also mean the lowest thing, such as a needle or a pen or even a, a, a stick or a shovel, or a piece of wood, or a nail. And forget a nail, nail you give, you don't take back. But some things you will lend and take back. So what the Qur'an is telling us here, is that when a person has no sense of accountability and reckoning, they sink so low, they become so despicable, so stingy, so miserly, so lowly, so mean, that not only do they refuse to pay zakah, Not only do they violently treat orphans, not only do they not feed, but actually discourage others from feeding the poor and needy, not only do they fail to fulfill Allah's rights, but they become such mean people that they won't even share the most basic of necessities. So if if they actually have... um, of course, we all have, we've all seen such people. If they've got something lying in front of them, which they are not using, but belongs to them, and you say to them, can I borrow that for a moment? Their reaction says it all. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala portrays this beautifully. When there is no accountability, when there is no reckoning, No sense of reckoning, no sense of accountability. When a person either actually by belief does not accept the day of judgment, or even if the person nominally accepts the day of judgment, but their actions speak of hypocrisy, then such a person will stoop so low that they will end up engaging in these despicable behaviours. They will fail to fulfil Allah's rights, they will fail to fulfil the rights of Allah's creation. Their acts of ibadah will be meaningless. And let me tell you, I'll end with this. I mentioned the hadith of Ayatul Munafiq Thalath. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Ayatul Munafiq Thalath, the signs of a hypocrite are three. Number one, إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبْ When he speaks, he lies. Number two, وَإِذَا وَعَدَ أَخْلَفْ When he makes a promise, he Breaks that promise. And number three, when he is entrusted with the trust, he betrays that trust. Imam Muslim, in his narration of this hadith, he has the additional wording of the following. You know what the hadith, full hadith is? 
Even though he may pray and claim that he is a Muslim. So the hadith according to Imam Muslim in his Sahih is, Ayatul Munafiq Thalathun Iza Haddatha Kadab Wa Iza Wa'ada Akhlaf Wa Iza Atumina Khan Walaw Salla Wa Za'ama Annahu Muslim That the signs of a hypocrite are three When he speaks he lies When he is uh, when he makes a promise he breaks that promise And when he is entrusted with a trust He betrays that trust Even though he may pray and claim that he is a Muslim If there is no reckoning No sense of reckoning No sense of accountability If a person actually dismisses and denies the day of judgment and the day of requital. Or even if they don't by belief deny it and nominally accept it, but, but by behavior, by lifestyle, by action, by choices, and in every other way, they live as though they don't believe in the akhirah, they don't believe in the day of requital, they don't believe in accountability before Allah, then their behaviors will indeed be as low and as despicable as the ones mentioned in the surah. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand the words of Allah. Make us amongst those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as he should be feared. May Allah grant us the consciousness. May Allah grant us his consciousness. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us aware and conscious of Allah at all times. May Allah make us amongst those who far from rejected the day of, rejecting the day of requital, who believe in it and who live with the knowledge, with the understanding, and with the conviction, and with the behavior of someone who believes in accountability before Allah on the day of reckoning. I'll translate the surah and I'll end with this. Have you not seen, sorry, have you seen one who rejects the reckoning? So he is the one who violently pushes away the orphan, and he does not encourage others to feed the poor. So woe be unto those who pray, who are neglectful of their prayer, those who merely show, and who withhold and do not even give the basic necessity. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alkotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.